lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. And howdy, greetings. Welcome to a special edition of the Steve Day Show. And when we say special edition, we don't mean we just added a couple of CGI characters to Jabba's Palace to get you to pony up the 1050 to go see Star Wars in the theaters again. We're working on getting there, though, aren't we? <laughs> That's right. We don't even have any CGI. Otherwise, we would we would resort to such tactics out of pure, Good. unadulterated capitalism if they were at our disposal which, but alas they are not which one of us would be replaced with the cgi first well you know what we always say around here aaron if you have to ask it's about you brother it's about you yeah it, I, it, I think i'm the best looking one on here sorry go ahead is he doing that thing oh, we can't oh, tell if he's serious or not oh, or? Nails, man. No, I, i'm i'm serious you guys are ugly <laughs> look at this guy he, he lands a wife, and now he's Adonis? <laughs> yes, indeed. Wow. You know what? Speaking of ugly, we should roll some camera on whatever those ridiculous glasses your new wife has you wearing before we start the show. These are not ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I beat up kids wearing glasses like that when I was a kid. These help my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the feel... same glasses as yours. I know. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> I just now realized. That. I figured he's got no self awareness. Let me hey, throw my lack of it I in. I have readers too now, so dude, let's just get. We this should all dude. just sit here. Can't, ugh, I really want. I to forgot do my this. skull neck pocket protector here in my shirt. Yes. Before you came in today, I I put up a side by side of Todd with Walter White from season five. It is just uncanny, uncanny. That's the Breaking Bad show. Yep. Yeah, I never watched it. My wife loved it, but I never saw it. So is that a compliment? Is he like the bad guy or the good guy? I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking if I so need to... So there is no good guy. Yeah. Okay. Need to delve into the meth trade. That's the question I'm working on right now. You know, this is a phenomenal segue to yes. what today's special edition Indeed. is, by the way. <laughs> special. Indeed. We, we we may need some uh, some speciality uh, after we get to... After the segue that we're going to come here from. So we had a special edition here of the Steve Day Show for you. That would be me, Todd Erzin, and Aaron McIntyre. Otherwise known as Aaron the Beautiful. All right. 888-900-3393 is the number here at The Blaze. 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the program. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Today is one topic for the whole show. A special edition, and here's its title. The Seven Deadly Bible Verses. The Scriptures We Most Butcher and Abuse to Our Own Destruction. And this is really germane to the period of time in which we live in. I'm sure in other eras there were others. But in in our era, these are the seven that come up the most. And I think before we get started, it's important that the audience know why and and really the painstaking process by which these seven verses were selected. We came up with this idea for a show. And then after a show one day, we stuck around for about six or seven minutes coming up with the list. And here we are. Yep. So uh, feel justified 
in sending your emails to steve at stevedace.com with the ones that we missed. Thank you. Yes. So I don't know where else you're going to go, folks, for that level of in-depth preparation. But given the shallow hermeneutics often associated with these seven verses, it only seems appropriate that we put in an equal amount of effort in coming up with them, Tom. I think there is a future... Friday reader feedback segment with the alternative versions from our readers. I th- that is going to be lit. It's yes. the Gadsden Mall. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So we're going to count these down over the course of uh, today's two-hour program from seven to one. We've, we've ranked these in order. They're in order from least to most bastardized on the most bastardized list. Shall we begin? Indeed. Now, what you're going to find is no one's getting out of here alive, man. Five to one, baby, one in five. No one here gets out alive. If you've got a particular tribe, if, you, if you're coming to this exercise with any tribalism at all, you might want to listen to the great prophet Mike Tyson and turn off your station, all right? Because no one's getting out of here. Every, every tribe's getting skewered for, for what they do, how they skewer the scriptures. Is that fair? Yeah. You- I mean, it's a double-edged sword after all, right? think there's any of our listeners who are going to be taking like hand-stitched needlepoint signs off of their walls after our show or anything like that? I like the fact that you were surprised that I felt I had to even air that disclaimer. (laughs) It's just sort of at this point implied, if you you suffered enough to tune this in, then you knew, I mean, it's a you problem now. You knew it was coming. What did you think you were going to get when you came to the Steve Day show? Petted? No, that's not what we do here. This isn't heavy petting. That's not how we. That's not how we roll around here. No, this is trying to find out just how many people we can anger and have them still like us when we're all done. That, that's really what we do here. All right. In fact, the very first verse that we're going to tackle today, gentlemen, is often bastardized and butchered from Aaron, you and I's native tribe. Yep. Let's get to it. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Let's just get it out of the way right now. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Aaron, you were homeschooled, right? Yeah. We are homeschooled parents, although our youngest is at Des Moines Christian this year. But we just graduated our oldest, who went to K through 12, homeschooled. And she had numerous graduation parties of her homeschooled uh, colleagues to go to. Um, You had a homeschool graduation party, right? Nope. You didn't? No, I didn't. I didn't have any parties, guys. I think the last party I had was when I was 10. It was a good party, by the way. A bunch of my friends came over nope. and we played Army for the afternoon. This is going to be the worst Bible study ever. Great. Nope. Nothing of what I just said is embellished. It starts off with Aaron comparing you to some meth dealer. And now Aaron's like, I haven't had a party, guys, since I was 10 and we played Army. It's great, It's though. like that scene in Incredibles where that <laughs> the kid is, has, has like a third grade graduation. He didn't graduate. He just moved from third grade to fourth grade. <laughs> yes. That's how they treated him. Yes. He didn't graduate. <laughs> he just went from the 12, he went from 18 to 19. That's all that happened here. Nothing momentous. All right. I'm sure, though, you attended others' graduation parties and lived vicariously through them, perhaps. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> You're familiar with the tradition. I can take nothing for granted with this kid. Nothing. You know your wife's name, correct? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. All right. Anything else? There will be. Okay. So 
I, it, you can, I would say it's less than 2%. And, and our family was one of them, only because Anna has heard me harp about this her whole life, okay? But less than 2% of America's Christian homeschooling families have a graduation party every year in this country. And this verse isn't the life verse, or it's not adorned on the on the cake. Is that fair, Aaron? Yes, very it's, much it's, so. It's everywhere. Now, yeah. I, I'm guessing it's probably similar in the Christian schooling community. This verse is adored. It, it's one of megachurch America's favorite Bible verses, right? Because doesn't it just sound so nice and quaint, mm. right? It is nice and quaint. Right? Yeah. Earlier this year, your quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, decided he was an atheist now because couldn't possibly bring himself to worship a God that would condemn people to hell, right? This I mean, is, if only a- someone had taught him Jeremiah 29, 11, he still might, um, you know, have uh, lied about being a Christian this like he the, was before. This right? is the perfect Aaron Rodgers verse. <laughs> Relax. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. So one of the ways that we're going to point out to you that these b- verses are being butchered is something that I have used in my own Bible study for many years now. And it goes back to a Bible conference I was at early in my walk, and the speaker said something that I have repeated on this show on numerous occasions. Text without context is just pretext, all right? So, first of all, who was the prophet Jeremiah? Well, the the, the prophet Jeremiah, as I'm sure many of you know, was the inspiration for what we now know in our day and age is the greeting card industry. And one of the things that he was very famous for was the dispensing of pithy uh, affirmations uh, all throughout Israel. This made him very popular uh, and is the reason that uh, many children uh, were named after after Mr. Jeremiah. Because, no, Todd, no. Many yeah. graduation well, parties were thrown for him. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean— and, He graduated and every day. Jeremiah—no, yes. Jeremiah would actually go to the temple, and in the hall, in one of the hallways of the temple, he would write things— he would make his mark on the wall right. with his affirmations, and that's where right. we get Hallmark from. Absolutely. He would throw up his wonder words up there like Joel yep. Osteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, tremendous. Um, charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, right? That, that No. No. Um, one of the books of the Bible, not bearing his name, that Jeremiah wrote, is literally called Lamentations. <laughs> that... And not the good kind. That, that should yeah. be a hint. That should be a hint. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, his sayings were so popular, he was abandoned. Dumped in a cistern to die, right? Um, led away at the end of his, of his prophetic uh, time against his will. Um, this guy lived a tough life. And the reason he lived a tough life is because he didn't give people dime store affirmations like like we take this verse out of context and pretend that it is. In fact, if you go to Jeremiah 29, what you're going to find is it's a letter. And it's a letter that Jeremiah has written from Jerusalem to those that have been exiled now. They've been dispersed, the diaspora or diaspora, depending on how you've heard it pronounced. They've been dispersed in the capture of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And I believe this is when the ark is lost to history, the temple is destroyed. I mean, this is really the end of the original age of, of the Jewish people that was culminated with um, the ascension of King David. This is the end of it. And 
it ends with the last king of Israel who had rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar that God had appointed to be his instrument of judgment. Basically, God took God got sick of his children acting up, took off his belt, said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And on the buckle, it said Jeremiah, or Nebuchadnezzar, is what it said on the buckle. And that's what he spanked his people with. All right, And one of the things Nebuchadnezzar did is uh, he took a lot of the best and brightest out of Israel and took them back to Babylon to be indoctrinated. Among them, another guy who wrote a famous book in the Bible, young, a young aristocrat named Daniel. All right, So Jeremiah is the prophet. He's a commoner. Um, he, there's some talk that I believe in one genealogy, he uh, goes back to Hilkiah, the priest that helped to cleanse the temple in the time of Josiah. Probably the last great uh, Jewish king from a spiritual um, perspective, where he even cleaned out, you know, even the, the prostitution that was very popular in, in that time. And he writes this letter um, to the exiled elders of, of, of Israel, because the king has rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't want, I mean, they're making Israel great again. They're, they're not, they're not going to accept a judgment. They're, they have a birthright. You know, they're, they're great nationalists. And Nebuchadnezzar responds by, after he has laid siege and conquered Jerusalem, he drags that king out with his wife and his sons. In front of him, he murders his wife and sons. And then he plucks his eyes out so that that's the last thing he'll ever see. That was not included on your homeschool graduation birthday cake. They, that part, your parents left that part out. Maybe on errands. Maybe on errands. That would yeah. explain a few things. If his parents, I mean, the amount of if his parents were that honest with him, that that could explain some things. All right. True. And and in this letter, which begins in Jeremiah twenty nine chapter four, this is what the Lord of Armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So so who is doing the deporting? Is it Nebuchadnezzar? No, God says I deported you. Nebuchadnezzar is not in charge here. I am. I did this. He's just a vessel. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not increase or do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. He's telling people who are in prison, in exile, in captivity. Slow down, make the best of it. You're going to be here for a while. He goes on in this letter to say this is going to last for 70 years. So when 70 years, so that, would you like to know what Jeremiah 29, 10 says? When 70 years for Babylon are complete, when you're, remember when you were like grounded for two weeks as a kid? And you're like, man. This is going on for Evs, mm -hmm. man. It was like never going to end. Remember that? I do. They were grounded for 70 years. <laughs> All right? When your 70-year grounding is complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you. And then the rest of the verse that we take out of context. In other words, this is not some isolated, generic promise this is not even one of those things that it was 
like Second um, Chronicles seven fourteen. It was meant for those people at that time, but certainly it can be applied to God's covenant people through time. Right? This isn't even that. This is not even that. This is a specific restoration from a specific punishment. I am grounding you in Babylon for 70 years. When that 70-year grounding is complete, I will then restore you. Now, I am not sure why every homeschool kid and Christian school kid in America, I mean, maybe their parents were really bad guys. I'm not sure why so many of them identify with the plight of the Jews in the 6th century B.C., that they think, man, whenever this is done, I, God knows the plans that he has for me, plans to give me a hope and a future. But other than that, we have absolutely nothing in common with the people this verse was written to and about. It's not about us, and we're totally taking it out of context by applying it to us in absolutely any way, unless you're volunteering for a 70-year grounding, Todd. Well, that right there is kind of the money line because you basically describe this is kind of a a a primer for how even some of the most conservative among us will interpret the entirety of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a lodestar. You you not very few of us are built to just be sackcloth and ashes like full time. Like Jeremiah was 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 forced to because of the calling that God put on his life, right? Right. So, you know, let's, how can we kind of, this, there's, this is retconning because what this really is, this is like, this is like the forced march that you have got to go on in 100 degree high humidity heat. And, you know, halfway through, you get to stop for a second and have a single drink of water just to hydrate. And then, but you're going to finish it. It's going to, that, that, this is a drink of water in the middle of, parchment yes unending on both yes. ends yes and thank god for that glass of absolutely. water absolutely yeah. the way people interpret it it's like the glass of water becomes like the miraculous water from the rock unending and and, and the desert is just like oh it's a, it's just a little dry spell no 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 it, it's it's retconning is what it's doing absolutely it is you bet and here's the thing too it's not like there's not a lot of other verses that aren't in this specific context, you couldn't find in the in the scriptures that that give you that sense of eternal hope. I mean, Romans eight, I think, is my favorite portion of scripture. Why? Because it's statement of hope after statement of hope after statement of hope after statement of hope. Right. So it's not like Aaron, you're lacking for you know uh, pithy uh, you know affirmations in the scriptures to take this one and and way butcher it out of context. Yeah, and to go back to, you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14 uh, as well, you know, with that, there is a sense in which the general principle behind if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and, and sure. pray, I yep. will do. The general principle, I think, is, I think to some degree we, we would say is true. It's, it is still meant for that particular time and that particular place. This one is within, this is the definition of out of context, Bible verse. There is, of course, of course, God knows the plans He has for us. Of course, uh, of course, he, they they involve our our welfare, and it's not for evil to give you. It's just that we think that that means that I'm going to have a new car and the American dream and yep. uh, a full bank account and things like that. That's that's. I think that's the mistake we put our 
we put our uh, what did you call it before pretext. Yeah. We put uh, what we we want to voice. I said Jesus. We, want. we impose exactly. what we want the scriptures to be about. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of actually seeing them for what they are. And and the other thing about this too is that this the same motivation that caused God to ground His people for seventy years and put them into captivity is the same motivation that caused him, as Todd described it, to, to offer them this future glimpse of water while shipwrecked in the desert to inspire them. He, he, he didn't love them any less when he spanked them than he did when he dangled that carrot out there in the future, hey, when this will be restored and made right. They chose to disobey God. He, I mean, going back to Moses and Deuteronomy, I've said before you, blessing and cursing, life and death, choose life so that you may live in the land. They chose death. We talk about this in the show a lot. The wages of sin is death. What is a wage? Something you earn. A wage is something you earned. Therefore, why are they in Babylon? How did they get there? Why are they there? Who put them there? They did. They did. This is their wage. They were warned not to do the things that they did, and this was their wage. And so I think by the other thing we do when we take this out of context— is I think we reduce, we practice reductionism with God. We diminish the justice of God because his punishment was out of love, just as the promise, even in the midst of the punishment, for a future restoration was out of love as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's get to the second one. Verse 2. This comes from 1 Timothy 6.10. For money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's actually not the verse. That's often how it's cited. It's often cited that money is the root of all evil. How many times have you heard that over the course of your lifetime? Many. Many. How about you, Aaron? Yes. Yes. So on purpose, we put it up there the way that it is cited. Except that's not with the actual verses. Here's the actual verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, that changes things quite a bit, right? It does. Right. So because here's the th who wrote these words. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to his spiritual son, Timothy that he was mentoring in these two letters to essentially assume in, uh, his, you know, a, a position of leadership in the, in the church, both while Paul was still alive and then preparing him for what life would be like when he no longer was. And if, if the, one of the things Paul was, was he was also a professional tent maker. Now, why, what, why was he a professional tent maker? Because he needed what? Money. But I thought money was the root of all evil. So the guy that wrote most of the New Testament needed money. And so since money is the root of all evil, and the guy that wrote most of the New Testament needed money, he's evil. And so we don't need to listen to the New Testament, right? That's your YouTube hermeneutics I just gave you right there from uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> That's my him. quarterback. Yes, him. Okay. But it's uh, Paul also needed um, money to travel everywhere that he went, needed money to travel by ship, needed money for lodging, right? He was, con he was constantly taking up collections for Christians that were in uh, persecuted or poor communities throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, what were those collections? What were, what were they collecting? Stamps? Baseball cards. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll trade you 
you, you know, I'll 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 trade you a Josiah All Star for your uh, Caleb rookie card. Is that what they were trading? Is that what they were collecting? What were they collecting? Money. Why did they need money? Because money buys stuff that poor people need. So money is not evil. The love of money is. Why? Because what does the love of money produce? Idolatry. That's why the love of money wanders you away from the, causes you to wander away from the faith. You choose something you love more than God. That's why Jesus said to the rich young ruler, go home, sell off everything you own and come and follow me. Wasn't making it a statement of asceticism. Wasn't saying take a perpetual vow of, of, of poverty or you can't be a follower. Not what he was saying at all. I mean, a very rich man bought, gave Jesus the tomb he was buried in. Those things by the average Jewish daily wage were unaffordable for the average Jew. The, the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea donated for Christ to be buried in after his crucifixion. No, it's because that rich young ruler, that was a test of his, of his faithfulness. Does he, does he really want to accept the cause, or the cost, I should say? Does he want to accept the cost of following Christ. It's why Christ says to somebody who's poor, who says in, in the Gospels, Lord, I'll follow you, but first I have to go home and bury my father who's who's passed away. Well, that guy's poor. And Jesus looks at him and says, let the dead bury their own dead. He can't do anything more for you. He's dead. In other words, what things are you putting in front of your relationship with and worship of the one true God? That's what that is about. That's why money is not the root of all evil. But the love of money is, the love of money is, because it means you love money, really, and not the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Gentlemen, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's just the chapter before this that says, uh, that, that recites scripture saying, uh, don't, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out grain, mm -hmm. and the worker, the laborer is worth his wages. You earn money, economies are... Are obviously how God uh, is is or how God uh, is, you know plans to help uh, care for and provide for His children. That's that's I don't think there's any question about that. But this is so easily um, taken out of context uh, as well. And what is the motivation? What's the motivation for us taking taking this verse out of context? And I would just be curious for both of you all. What what do you think is the motivation for doing that? To justify often uh, class warfare, covetousness. covetousness, socialism, things of that nature, which is ironic in our culture, because going back to this really began with Barack Obama in 2008. But in the last three presidential elections now, folks, the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to actually vote for leftists. The, the leftists are winning the 1% now. Most of the billionaires now are, 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 are progressives. That's who Trump is, was speaking to earlier this year at Davos in, in Switzerland when they asked him about Greta Thunberg, who wants to take all their fossil fuels and everything away. All right? So that's the great irony. I mean, Bernie Sanders, how many homes does he own? We've cited that how many times? Michael, there's, there's two billionaires. So we had one billionaire running in the Republican side the last time. The Democrats hate wealth so much they've got two of them now and Michael Bloomberg and Tom Steyer. But that's often what this is used to justify is that level of class warfare and covetousness, Todd. Yeah, guilt is a very 
powerful weapon amongst uh, secular circles. And this sister passage to this, uh, you know, they, they kind of riff off of each other. Uh, it's e- easier what, for, for a Campbell to get through the eye of a needle right. than a rich man to get into heaven. Well, that that's that has nothing about, to do with wealth per se. It's telling you you can't earn your way. You can't buy your ticket with with things, with status. It, 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 it has nothing to do uh, with the inherent amount of money. Uh, by that definition, if it was money, the just the more you'd have, the worse of a person you'd be. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's chaotic thinking scripturally or otherwise. N- nothing points uh, in, in that direction. Yet I, th- I think there's enough examples of uh, poster board scripture that are so easily kind of because they riff off each other and people have heard of both of these and it's it's a cause to get lazy and listen the church lets them get lazy with it all too often in fact if you if you go down to verse 17 there in the same in the same uh, chapter there in first timothy paul writes instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth but on god who richly provides us with all things to enjoy instruct them to do what is good to be rich in good works to be generous and willing to share storing up Treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. He's advising people who are rich. In the current state, they're rich. He doesn't tell them to abandon their wealth. He's telling them how to be righteous and holy while you are rich and make your priorities that which God says are eternally important. More of the seven deadly Bible verses next. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Back here on a special edition of the Steve Day Show. It is the seven deadly Bible verses. The scriptures we most butcher and abuse to our own destruction. So we've talked about Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. First Timothy 6:10, which is often misquoted as saying, money is the root of all evil, when it really says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And that is a distinction with a Costco-sized difference. How are we doing on this so far, gentlemen? You having fun? Oh, yeah. yeah. Rolling. Uh, it, it's about to get dark because this next one, man, it's pretty close to home for me. All right. Maybe you've heard this scripture taken out of context. The Lord helps those who help themselves. First Franklin, 1776. Is is that is First Franklin in the old and is in his two Franklin is First Franklin in the Old Testament and two Franklin is in the New Testament? Is that I can't remember. 
it, it's in the Apocrypha, Steve. Yeah, well, which Apocrypha? The, the, the one you Catholics have that has a few extra books or like the Apocrypha Apocrypha where like Jesus is tearing wings off of birds and stuff. Which Apocrypha are we talking about? Yes. Like the, the Shepherd's Valley or the poem, whatever that one you guys have in your, or like, we're like, we're like, we're like Paul or like Adam married Lilith, who was his first wife ahead of Eve. It was a feminist and disobeyed God because uh, God demanded that they only have sex in the missionary position. That is an actual thing, by the way. That is an actual thing I cited. I didn't just make that up. So it's not, not that Apocrypha, I'm guessing. No? I'm at a loss. This just took a turn. I told you it was going to take a very dark turn. <laughs> Because this one hits, if you're any kind of conservative, man, this one hits close to home. So for those of you that are maybe uh, didn't grow, to, grow up and go to Sunday school, like me, like me, I heard this all my life. And very early when I was still in the seeker stage at uh, the, it, it was the first church my wife and I ever belonged to together. And I was still in the seeker stage and the pastor was, I don't, I don't even remember what the sermon was about. I just remember when this happened. And many of you think the Lord who the Lord helps those who helps themselves is in the Bible. It's not. Satan, get behind yes, me. Yes, man. I I about let my wife had to push me back down. We were we were meeting at a high school in that at the time, didn't have our own church yet, church building yet. I mean, at the local middle school, as it was, man, I about leapt. Well, I was well over four hundred. I was over four hundred pounds back then, so I, I, I exerted myself to to move, shifted in my chair, yes. uncomfortably. Okay, uh, and Amy's like got her hand on my sit down. I, I, what do you mean that's not? Because I like specifically ruled out all the all the uh, um, council of churches denominations. Cause I knew they were all a bunch of lefties. When we went church shopping, I'm like, I, I must have missed one. What do you mean this is not in the Bible? It's not. Um, and in, in fact, even though it is something that uh, a lot of conservative Americana loves to say out loud, right? Rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Okay. This sentiment actually... Well, I mean, it goes against pretty much the entire framework and paradigm of the scriptures. Other than that, though, I, I, I can see the connection. There isn't a first Franklin, nor, nor two, or three, or four. In fact, there's actually nobody even named Franklin in the Bible, ever. Uh, and the reason we put that on there is because this statement actually comes from uh, poor Richard's almanac. Almanac. It's it's which was written by Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin. This is this is a Benjamin Franklin witism that the Lord helps those who help themselves. A great chaste Christian himself. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. Um, the scriptures say, um, "Die to yourself." To 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 die is gain, meaning to not live for yourself. To to not exert your own authority and your own will, but to rest on the will of God. Jesus prayed for God's will to be done, asked us to pray, um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, the Old Testament says one plants, another waters, and then God gives the increase. All right, The New Testament were to share one another's burdens we're to carry our cross, lay down our own life so that the hope of glory, Christ 
in me can live through each and every one of his one of his brethren. This is um this just goes against this is this is right-wing self-esteem teaching. I'll just how about that? Is that fair? It's it's it is the right-wing version of self-esteem teaching on the left. It is this idea that uh I made something of myself. So so just like in the last segment, we pointed out to you that just because you're poor doesn't make you any holier or any closer to God. That's not true. Okay. Um, similarly, the fact that you made something of yourself doesn't do so either. I mean, if you you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps to create Hustler magazine, is that something to celebrate? So no, okay. I mean, this is, and it does it. It has a, it does have a certain ring element of truth. The scriptures put a high premium on personal accountability and responsibility, but ultimately, this is really saying if I act out of my own will, God will bless me. When the reality is we should, the, the blessing is, is in, in the scriptures, the blessing comes from doing God's will, regardless of what the outcome is. That's the blessing. Serving God is the blessing. Not, not the outcome of it, one way or the other, but the, the fact that, that, that the most powerful being in the universe wants us and calls for us to serve him and with him. That, that in and of itself, that is the blessing. What do you guys think? We're right back to what I said before about rich man... Uh, getting into the kingdom of heaven. You can't earn it. You can't help yourself uh, that way. Now, if you'll allow, can I make somebody really uncomfortable? Oh, by all means. If, we, yes, Mr. Walter White, give us your it, biblical exegesis, it, well, please. If you get, if you, what do you get when you take this verse uh, and you gussy it up in a really loud font and you paint it red and you put it on a baseball hat? This is, yeah, because the, this, the, the, this is the implication mega. is the implication is we're the ones that can make America great again. Yeah. Yep. And that's how that's really not that far away from Barack Obama's claim that we are the people we've been waiting for, right? Is that what you were going to say next? Uh, no, I wasn't. But okay. you're you're clearly picking but, up what I'm laying down. But it is this idea that we are masters of our own domain, masters of our own fate, and we're not. Now I I can understand why an unregenerate, unrepentant, but very earthly successful man like Donald Trump would be attracted to that kind of a message that that's absolutely in accordance with his worldview. And, and there have been good things that have come out of his worldview. How many people have had food on their table oh, yeah. from the jobs and the things so. that he has created? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's when good things happen, I, we as believers, you know, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice when good things happen, because ultimately God determines what is good. So when good things happen, but even if they occur outside directly of our worldview in the New Testament, there's a story where the apostles come upon somebody that they don't know who is casting out demons and and helping people in Christ's name. And they're like, should we go shut this guy down? He ain't with us. And Jesus said, hey, whoever's not against us is for us, right? Okay, so when good things happen in this world, because God, God makes the rainfall and the just and the unjust alike, there's all kinds of people in cultures that reject him. And, and practice beliefs that will send them to hell if they don't repent from them. He still waters their lawn for them. 
He still gives them crops for their field. He, he still get, lets, that lets them enjoy the joy of love and marriage and children and family, right? Okay. Yes. So even when it's outside of our worldview, when good things happen, because God ultimately determines what is good, because the root word of good is God. So when good things happen, even when they're outside of our worldview, we celebrate that. Which is why we celebrate when a Donald Trump creates this amount of wealth and this that creates this amount of jobs and opportunity for other people, right? Yes. And and, we, and if he, when he uses it for products that people enjoy that are good to their enjoyment, as opposed to if he were to do so with things that are bad, right? Yes. We celebrate that, but understand that's not a salvationary construct. Meaning that's good that we can do with our own hands, but it doesn't. It has nothing to do with what is the ultimate good and determines really what is the plumb line or foundation for a civilization or a culture. If, 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 you know, in our culture, we live in a country founded on the notion that rights come from God, not from government. Well, then it would only make sense, therefore, that if you want those rights protected and they come from God, whom must you be close to in order to protect your rights? God. That's why our Constitution, as John Adams said, was meant only for a moral and religious people. The further we drift away from God, the more our rights are imperiled. And we're not gonna we're not gonna defeat the godless philosophy that is threatening our rights with another godless philosophy, right? Correct. Even one that has better and superior accoutrements. It, it, and we would not deny that it does, right? Correct. I would rather live in a if you if 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 you were if I was forced to make a choice, make this choice or I shoot your children. Do you want to live in a country where Donald Trump is in charge or Elizabeth Warren? I'm going to choose Donald Trump. Correct. Okay. Me too. But that but so his accoutrements of his godless philosophy are better than the godless philosophy that Elizabeth Warren wants to engage. Which is why I pick Trump as the example because it's just too easy. I mean. Right. She's obvious. Yes. He's an important distinction to be making. Ab- absolutely. But ultimately, you will eventually lose out to the likes of Elizabeth Warren if you try to fight godless with godless, more godless, because that's that's their habitat. That's their native tongue. You're 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 not gonna out um you're you're not gonna out serpent speak a member of this of Slytherin. They're Slytherin. It's their language. It's what they speak, Aaron. Right? You know all about that. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, thank you for, yeah. Thank you for that. I'm a member of Slytherin. Um, yeah. I, Aaron I, the Beautiful. I, yes. Um, there are a couple There are a couple of verses uh, that I want to point out here. So one, going back to the, the thing about the self-esteem part of this as well. There's another verse uh, that's related to this who is that this fake verse, um, which is, you know, uh, love the Lord your God with all your strength, heart, strength, soul, and mind. And the second one is, uh, and the second one is love your neighbor as you love yourself. People think, oh, I should be loving myself a little bit like that. Uh, no, that's not what the, that means. It just presupposes that you already love yourself because mm-hmm. we all love me some me. All right. So there's, there's an element of that in there as well, where this is, yes, uh, I have made something of myself. Uh, I'm listening. This is basically my uh, motivational tape for the day. And then there's also another verse. I think this is kind of related to as well. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We think, you know, from Philippians, we think that that means I can just do anything. No, 
no, I mean, you can do you can do all things for Christ through Christ who strengthens you. That doesn't mean that you're going to build the tallest building or do things of your own of your own volition uh, according to your own plans as well. But we like to take these types of things out of context because they make us feel good about ourselves and because and because they uh, what's the opposite of reductionism? Uh, we it, they it, amplify us. Up, amplify us. Yeah. yeah. That, that, in this case, God decreases so that we can increase. Yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah. And if you if you go back and, spoiler alert, this in another context will come up, these two individuals will come up later on. But in, in one of the things that I've talked about over the years is, particularly as, as Christians who are engaged in conservative politics, we have a tendency, and I have, and, and, and let me emphasize here, okay, we. Because we would also include whom? Us. Us. Okay. So we, the we, and you watching me at, at him, we have a tendency to practice what I like to call works with faith rather than faith with works. Now, now what do I mean by that? What I, what I mean by that is we're up against evil. And therefore, since we're up against evil, we are the opponents of evil, that automatically makes us, therefore, in the story of whom? Good. Good. Right? And let's get together. Let's plot together, put our heads together, scheme together, and come up with a plan to beat this evil. And then when we're done, let's ask God to bless it. Because why wouldn't he? I mean, we're just, our, our, our motivations are pure. We're the good guys in the story. At least that's our narrative anyway. Right? I mean, right? And so let's ask God to bless this effort. I've talked before about how many meetings I used to be in with, you know, Christian conservative, you know, strategy meetings and with names you would know. And it would always begin and end the same way. It always began with, let's go around the room and tell us who you are. And it was really, hey, let's size up who's got the biggest following because that's the elf in the room and they're going to probably be the one calling the shots. And then it would end with, okay, let's pray and ask God to bless this. <laughs> it was just a matter of how long was the stuff in between that beginning and the end. <laughs> All right. I remember when I was in where I was asked because I was the radio guy with the radio voice, even though I don't have the classic radio voice by any stretch. Aaron's got a better voice than I do by far. And, uh, but because I was the radio guy, I was asked to do the, uh, the, um, the devotional reading and it was David versus Goliath. And I remember when I got done, I, I, I looked at everybody and said, does anybody else find the irony of, of, of that we chose? You guys wanted me to read this? Anybody else? That we're sitting here trying to build Babel and you guys wanted me to read David versus Goliath. No one got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, they, they, no, they. I got a lot of blank looks though. No, they didn't get it. But we did at the end. Guess how it ended? Let's pray and ask God to bless us. All right. And this is this is what ha this is the difference between Cain and Abel. Okay, the first murder, which this will come up in the next hour. But this is the difference between the two brothers. Is is one brother brings to God the offering. He brings God an offering. Cain brought God an offering. But it was the one that he wanted to bring, that he thought that God was worthy of, that the effort that he was willing to put into it. Abel brought God the the offering he was worthy of. Regardless of the effort, it was one. One was a box check. The other was an act of devotion. 
I mean, Abel gave his form, you know, of a widow's might of the, of, of the scandalous woman who pours out her perfume at Jesus' feet. That He gave his version of that to God. Abel was just like, yeah, I know God, whatever. Cool. Get her done. And I think my experience for those of us who are believers in the conservative political arena, we have to fight this tendency all the time. And it gets hard the crazier our opponents get because humanly we want to justify ourselves by other people. We prefer to do that because justifying ourselves by, by, by Christ is hard because he's Lord and we're human beings and we don't measure up to him. So we would prefer to judge ourselves and justify ourselves by our fellow man that we know has mm-hmm. flaws, that we're pretty sure my flaws are, my farts don't stink as bad as yours. My sins are terrible, mind you which is why I need Jesus, but not as terrible as yours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right? And so this is the temptation. We constantly have to fight this idea of self-reliant-ism as opposed to God-reliant-ism. So we're through part one of this. What do you guys think of this so far? we got about a minute here to go. Uh, one thing that's coming uh, to mind as I think through uh, listening to you is uh, the study of Christian typology. You know, that... Uh, in that cup of water that is uh, Jeremiah that I talked about, you know, people just say, for refreshing, refreshing. You need to see the cross, the suffering in that cup of water. And the same thing here, when you bring up the uh, Cain versus Abel, which is the worthy sacrifice, Steve? Is it the agrarian sacrifice or is it the animal sacrifice? Mm-hmm. The animal, because there's blood. There mm-hmm. is suffering. Mm-hmm. Christian typology is a study of that. I'm not sure about the Catholic-Protestant parallels, but I'm thinking about that a lot as Steve speaks. Aaron? Yeah, I'm thinking we need to do a March Madness-style bracket of all of the out-of-context Bible verses because I'm thinking of more and more as we go along here. That would be fun. Could we get it down to 64? (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. We'll come back with hour two in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace, The Steve Day Show. And we're back with Hour 2 on a very special edition. Offend everyone. Maybe that's what we should have called today's episode. That's implied. That's true. That could also fall under a redundancy where this program is, is concerned. We want to be as efficiently offensive as we possibly can. Because if the only thing more offensive than what we say the first time around is when we begin to repeat ourselves. Yeah, Steve just came. I think we're leaving some offenses uh, on the table there. I think we need to... Uh, my bust. Yeah. My bust. I showed a little restraint. What was I thinking? 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think here via the stevedace.com inbox. Email the program, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, 
at Steve Dace Show. And again, for those of you doing the audio only today, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. All right. If you are listening to us today via the podcast, by the way, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, wherever you choose to podcast from, we would be very grateful because the more of those we get, the more the benevolent overlords of our society, known as the algorithms, help us to find more people like you. And then the more people like you we find, the more likely it is we get to continue broadcasting to you, the people. So thank you to the thousands of you at the various podcasting platforms you can find this program that have left us five-star reviews. Please, by all means, keep them coming. If you haven't done so already, please do it for the children. Ours. All right, so today's special edition is titled Seven Deadly Bible Verses, the scriptures we most butcher and abuse to our own destruction. We've gone through three of them so far. Jeremiah 29, 11, 1 Timothy, which is, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 10, which does not say money is the root of all evil. It really says for the love of money is the root of all evil. And that is a very, very, very important modifier ahead of that word money. And we talked for a good while explaining that last hour. And then we closed last hour with a verse of the scriptures that's actually not even in the scriptures, but is often quoted as being so anyway, the Lord helps those who help themselves. So, so far, so good? Yeah. All right, let's get to number four. Anything in Leviticus we don't culturally understand or purposely seek to distort. Anything. Anything. I mean, you could literally grab a Bible. See, I, don't have, I do everything digitally nowadays. Grab a Bible and, and just blindly choose a list, a verse out of Leviticus. And I promise you, it has been distorted and abused. It is the most distorted and abused book in the Bible, I think. Um... Well, first of all, you guys agree or disagree with that? That it's the most Yeah, distorted? I think it is the most. I think it's it's definitely the most easily distorted. I mean, it's a there's a lot of competition no, for let me, let me clarify that's distorted. All I'm like, like, man, if you have a particularly, you know, a certain view on eschatology, then you think anybody's view of what revelation means other than yours is distorted. I, that's not what I mean. I'm not talking about a difference in certain theological interpretations. I'm talking about a, the, the difference in the theology in and of itself. The, 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 that at its core, this book is often used as an automatic go-to battering ram. Yes, for sure. By scorns and scoffers yeah, sure. who don't understand almost anything yeah. that's in here. That's it's, what I mean, Eric. So the, Levitica, the book of Leviticus is basically the law, right? Yes, it's the law. And so why is this taken out of context? Because you've got verses like the one that I just put up on, on the screen there, and tons of verses like this. You shall not round the corners of your heads. I have no idea what that means. I just, I just Googled weird verses from Leviticus, and that one popped up. So it's a bunch of, of laws mm -hmm. for Israel to follow. 
And leftists like to like to bring up Leviticus all the time, as you said, as a battering ram taken out of context in order to paint the entirety of the Christian faith as something that's weird and backwards and, and out of place in time. Uh, completely unrelated news. In Alabama, bear wrestling matches are prohibited. In Arkansas, it's prohibited to pronounce Arkansas incorrectly. In Florida, having sexual relations with a porcupine is illegal. In Iowa, ministers must obtain permit to carry their liquor across the state line. The ministers aren't even trusted to hold their booze? And in Minnesota, airplanes may not be landed in city parks. Um, Let he who is without weird laws cast the first stone. Well done. Judge not, lest ye be... Oh, wait. Don't spoiler alert! Yeah, believe me. (laughs) At times like this, I think Aaron is... Just smarter than all of us. Aaron He's the beautiful. the best of us, yes. Aaron the beautiful. This is when it's warranted. Yes. Not because of the glasses. Um, so for those of you that are unchurched, irreligious, but are just curious about what we're talking about here, Leviticus comes from the, one of the first five books of the Bible, often referred to as the Pentateuch, and that just really mean the first five books of the Bible, uh, written by Moses himself, all right? Leviticus comes from, um, does it, it's the, it is the law, uh, and it, it's it's several different kinds of laws, okay? But it comes from the law, okay? Uh, and these were the laws that were to be enforced by the Levite priests, all right? Which chase, trace their lineages back to Moses' brother Aaron. He was the first Levite priest. And Israel was a direct theocracy. What I mean by direct was that the church is who enforced the civil law as well, okay? So they they didn't just enforce canon law or ecclesiastical law uh, or even just a blasphemy law like what you'll see in Muslim countries, for example. But no, I mean, they they enforce the civil laws, boundaries, disputes, the, everything. They, they, the church, and it, because it was the instrument of God that God used to um, uh, to perform his will with, amongst his covenant people was through uh, was through the, uh, the the church, the, in this case, the order of Levite priests. Um, they handled all of the daily law as well. In the book of Leviticus, you're going to see there are ceremonial or sometimes referred to as religious laws. Um, these are laws that have to do with purification before coming before the presence of God, for example. Okay. Uh, there are practical, these could also though can be some of the dietary laws for the same reason. There's practical laws. Um, there's criminal moral laws. Okay. Um, when you hear an eye for an eye, just this gives you an idea of how Leviticus is often taken out of context. And, and let me say this just to reiterate what Aaron said by our 21st century culture, there is some weird stuff in there. Okay. Um, but as Aaron pointed out, we think boys can become girls here. Man. Yeah, yes. As Aaron pointed out, there's lots of weird laws that are weird to us by our modern sensibilities now, but would have made perfect sense there, there. And I'll get into some of that here in just a moment. But, um, one of the things that's often misunderstood is all of these laws are just lumped in together as, well, living guess means the law. So you got to keep the law. You got to keep it all. Okay. Well, the early church actually had this debate. It was, it was probably the fiercest debate within the early church. Because you have to keep in mind, when you, and, when I, and now when I say early church, I mean in the New Testament, I should say. Right? The early church in the New Testament, you have to keep in mind that it was all Jewish. 
Everybody in the early church originally was Jewish because the argument was a uniquely Jewish argument. Jews were arguing with Jews about whether Yeshua of Nazareth was the son of David, was the Messiah or not. That was the argument. Jews were arguing with Jews. St. Peter, Jew. James, Jew. Paul, Jew. In fact, I think Luke is the only Gentile writer in all of the Bible, maybe. Not just the New Testament, but maybe all of the Bible, right? Because everything else came from God's covenant people Israel, right? Mm -hmm. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, and then everything else came from the law, the prophets, right? So is Luke the only Gentile writer in the whole scriptures then who wrote the Gospel of Luke and, and, the, the, and the book of Acts right after it? Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, what does Gentile mean? A non-Jewish person. That's what that means. Okay? So all of this, that's why I kind of chuckle when, and this is that's not to say there have not been people that claim to be Christians that have practiced horrendous acts of anti-Semitism. And then there have been even great figures in the church. I mean, I, I, I don't know how else to spin it, but you're going to find things that Martin Luther wrote. That there's really just no other way to spin it. Um, are pretty anti-Semitic, frankly. Um, there's been a curious, and, it's, and, there, and no vestige of the Christian church is without blame here on some level. There has at times been a, shall we say, problematic relationship between Rome and, and the Jewish people and Judaism through its history. No one gets off, gets off in the Christian church. No one gets off scot-free when it comes to anti-Semitism. But, but for example, when Mel Gibson made The Passion, um, you had um, 80, what's the, um, the group, um, the Anti-Defamation League. The Anti-Defamation League condemned the Passion as anti-Semitic. Because some there will, there, there will be some claim that, well, Christianity unto itself is, is, is anti-Semitic. I, I, I don't know about anybody else in the audience that calls themselves a Christian, but I go to church every Sunday and worship a God who became a man who was a Jew. I, I don't know how the worship of a Jewish man as God could possibly be construed as anti-Semitic. I, 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 that, 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 that's a fallacy. Doesn't mean you have to agree with me or that I'm right. That doesn't guarantee that Jesus was the Messiah. It doesn't do that. But if you're earnestly going to church every Sunday to worship a God who became a man, and that man was a Jew, and then you seek to bless God's people through him, I, I don't know how that's possibly anti-Semitic. The theology might be wrong. Might be wrong. Jesus may not, you know, maybe he's not the Messiah to some of you. Doesn't mean, which by the way, doesn't change whether he is or he isn't. But maybe the theology is wrong. But certainly you can't be anti-Semitic in that way. The people that are anti-Semitic are the people that claim that they know what they're talking about with the Levitical law and then mock it. Because this law was, was key to the Jewish identity. Because they were to be wholly set apart. Just as God is set apart from the sinfulness of his creation, they were to be set apart from the sinfulness of the nations around them, to set an example, to be a light to other nations. And so in the first century now, you've got this argument. Is Yeshua of Nazareth the Messiah? Some Jews said yes, most did not. And now you've got a guy that is, is now a member of the, of the leadership in, 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 the, in the church who was probably the highest-ranking member of the Jewish religious order of all of them, this guy named Paul. 
he's like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm called to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles, to take this now to beyond here, you know? And that's what me and Silas and Barnabas and some crew were doing. And, you know, Peter, you were even eating some unclean foods over, you know, a block over the other day. So, I mean, you're feeling me, right? So they're having this debate. What do we do now? We're going to go to, you know, um, I mean, where, where was Paul on his way when he encountered Jesus? He was on his way to Syria, Antioch. Um, that's outside of uh, Judea, obviously, a separate country, the Syria we have today. So he's now going to be the one that's going to, you know, and him and the people working with him, we're going to now, because Jesus said first to Jerusalem and then to uh, Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, we're going to take this thing to the ends of the earth now. We're going to take, we're going next level. Well, we've got all these people here that are eating these snails and all these funky things, and they like bacon, and they aren't circumcised. And it wasn't like there was a lot, long line of Jewish deacons in the early Christian church like, I'll handle the, the circumcising the uh, adults. Like th There wasn't like a line of guys volunteering for that job anyway. Okay, so, um, uh, and if they were, they probably would have been thrown out of the church, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, fast, you can say Pete Buttigieg. So um, there's this big debate, and they have this thing in the book of Acts called the Council of Jerusalem. And the whole debate comes down to, this was really the first conclave in the history of the Christian church, is this, is this council. They have a matter of great import. We're bringing in people who are, who are cross-cultural now, who are um, diverse, multicultural. What do we do? They speak a different language in some cases. Um, and as we get beyond, you know, someday Rome to the ends of the earth, we're only going to get more diverse. So what do we do? Uh, do we, does everybody have to become Jewish? Meaning that they have to abide by these, many of these same kind of Levitical customs. And after a lot of prayer and supplication and meeting together, the Holy Spirit led them to this conclusion. They have to keep the moral law. And a letter was written, but the ceremonial laws, the ecclesiastical laws the, uh, that were unique to the nation of Israel did not pertain to Gentile Christians. And so that's why we don't sit around wondering about boiling a young goat in its mother's milk or tying together multiple threads of garments in, in clothing. But before you dismiss all of this in particular, a few years ago I did a study on Leviticus because I hated reading the book. It bored me to tears, and I was convicted that God would not have sustained it if there wasn't something meaningful even for me in the 21st century to get out of this. And there's a couple of meanings that, that you can get out of this to 21st century Christian. One is why you need the Lord. The, the difficulty of keeping yourself holy and righteous on your own, by your own steam, you can't help yourself to this one, Ben Franklin. That, that's, that's one message you can get out of it, is that it is, you, you understand, what, what is it, 618 or 613 laws are in there, I believe. Um, the, the, amount, the, the amount of oversight regulation it takes for us to, on an even surface level to deal with the impact of our own sin and that the sin that we have committed has done on this creation, you, you, can't, you can't fix this on your own. You couldn't live up to this standard if you tried. And I, 
I don't think you could understand your favorite book of the Bible, Romans, without reading Leviticus at least one. I Agreed. mean, at its depth, because it tells you what the law is yeah. ultimately for in Romans. And, who, and by the way, who wrote Romans? Yeah. Paul. The Apostle Paul, who before he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, Leviticus was was really what he had given his life to, Leviticus, basically. Um, the other thing is if you actually study and historically, like I don't know about the rounding the corners of your head thing, okay? But I've actually done studies. There is actually a practical explanation for many of these things. Yeah. Let me give you an example. The ban on shellfish. Since any lefties watching, you guys like to quote that all the time. One day we were sitting in a Red Lobster, my wife and I were. And she never got into seafood much as a kid. She tried, tried it a little bit, but just didn't develop a taste for it. I love it. Okay. Um, and so we're at Red Lobster. It's for my birthday. We used to go there for my birthday back when we were really poor and Red Lobster was like a delicacy to us at that stage in our early in our marriage. And so we do this, you know, we were going to do this on my birthday every year because I loved it. First year on my birthday, we're married. We go to Red Lobster. I love crab cakes. Love them. We order some crab cakes. Amy's like, I don't know. I've never tried these. This smells pretty good. Let me give it a shot. She loved it. What she didn't love was when we went to the ER within the hour because she couldn't breathe. All right. Because guess what she had, guys? A shellfish allergy. Lots of people have those, have those, by the way. Now, luckily, we could like get in our old tiny little Geo Metro that I drove back then and drive downtown about 15 minutes to the ER for her to, you know, get some Benadryl and a shot and make it go away and get her breathing. Are you hitting the med clinic in 1700 BC? Probs not. Probs not. So dad comes home with guys catch of the day. Jewish dad comes home. Jokiah comes home. Where are the essential oils? Yes. That? <laughs> I've got I come home. I've got today. I was I was I was in the Dead Sea and found some shrimp. And he lines up his 12 gorgeous sons, all named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And Reuben. Reuben's like, Dad, this is this shrimp smells great over the open fire. And Reuben bite, Reuben digs in. And all of a sudden, Reuben's like, <laughs> you know, Jokiah's not like, kids, in the station wagon. Reuben's got a shellfish allergy. Got to get him down to the med station for some Benadryl. Nope. Reuben dies of anaphylaxis. That's what happens. And now you'll have to have another son named Reuben because there's only 11 tribes. There's actually a very practical explanation. Even some of the blood stuff that doesn't make sense to us, like afterbirth and some of those things. If you, if you look at, there's, there's actually a very practical explanation for the time and era in which they lived to a lot of these that, you, that, that, makes, it, that makes it make far more sense than it does on the surface. But, but, but we have to want to get beyond the surface. And most of us don't. Most of us want to do what we want to do and then have, be able to take things out of context to bludgeon the people that don't agree with us on what we want to do. And Leviticus is often the hammer we choose to wield. Any thoughts?
Well, it and those who hate the Christian faith, it, it they're shameless in the, in their need and want to live on the surface because if, if they were serious, I mean, if they really wanted to know, at least on this front, whether uh, it's Steve Steve and Aaron's tribe or mine, I mean, the 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 book of Acts is is the primary reading material within the Catholic calendar post Easter for weeks on end. I mean, you, it's, this is not a, a, a complicated issue. It's not something in hiding. Nothing is being uh, retrofitted. The, this is a classical understanding of what the Jewish people thought of themselves. We're not like modern, and this is not modernizing in any way. This is exactly what the, the ceremonial law versus the, the, the moral law. Um, it, so th this isn't some great unpacking that's being done. We're talking about it at length because it's truly enjoyable. We like talking about it, but this is not com complex. And the and you know if 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 they got any deeper than the shallow pool they live in, the people who like to use this, um, they knew that instantly the jig would be up. That's why they stay in the shallow end perpetually. Yes. You know, if you wrote messages, if you wrote messages, or if if everything. Now, I'm not a parent, but I again, I've been around you know younger kids uh, because of my nieces and nephews before. If you wrote down everything that you said to your kids when you're trying to keep them out of trouble, trying to protect them, it would look really odd sometimes, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, you do not put that in the boot. No, you know, don't, uh, you know, uh, make a, there's literally Don't a put your basketball exactly, in the microwave. Exactly. Yes. yes. There's literally, literally a million possibilities that just out of context don't make any sense whatsoever. And that's a little bit of a trite, but it's analogy, not too far off. But it is. That's kind of what you have to do to make sense of Leviticus. Plus, you have to understand that some things, like the boiling the goat in its mother's milk, they were surrounded by paganism of the of the absolute worst variety. And so, the whole point of Levi there's two points to Leviticus. One is the one I already articulated. It's it's a proto version of their need for salvation of a Messiah. You can't keep the law. You can't. God's law demands perfection. You can't. Here's 600. Tell you what. You think you can. You think you can do this on your own? I'll just give you 613. Try those. Can't. Can't do it. You can't keep God's law. That's number one. But the other thing was to make them unique among other peoples. So some of these laws, like the way they were to dress, were were a direct confrontation of the rival religious systems of the day. Remember when the Jews go into their promised land. There's seven other nations living in this land. I know you don't even need to wait till the New Testament. Just read Joshua and Judges. Yes. And the Leviticus makes a lot more yes. sense. I mean, they're they're invading their God's urban renewal program. These lands have practiced demonic worship, child sacrifice, and and God is rebooting the fertile crescent through his people Israel. And they're the they're the urban renewal plan. But part of that means folks got to get evicted, and that most of them got to get evicted by force because they weren't leaving without a fight. And so some of these things are direct challenges on how to be different, similar to the, the plagues of Egypt. Is it most of, or all of them were a direct rebuke of the gods of Egypt, I believe, yep. right? Some of these Levitical laws that make no sense to us today, none. Like if, if, if your mom... If, if, if your mom got mad at you, those of us that are parents now, 
Have you looked at your children and said, when, you, when they've really acted, have you ever looked at your daughters and said, go, get, go pick out your switch? You ever done that? Uh, not that particular phrase, but a, a different version of that. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, I never even heard that from my mom. She spanked me, but I never heard that phrase. She heard that, from her, that phrase from her mom all the time. And there was an era where that phrase was quite common. If you told a kid nowadays, go pick out your Switch, you're in trouble. Your kid nowadays is going to be like, I'm in trouble, so you want me to play Nintendo? Mom, that doesn't make any sense. I usually take my Nintendo away when I'm in trouble. Now you're telling me to go pick out my Switch, so I, I get, I'm getting another Nintendo for acting out? You see, it doesn't make any sense, like what you were saying, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Several of these things are direct rebukes to the religious systems that they were surrounded by at the time. And the reason why... The reason why the Council of Jerusalem said that you that even the Gentiles must obey the moral law, here's why. When they came to Jesus and they said, Master, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord, quoting Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. I believe he added all your strength or all your mind, I think, one of the two. Okay, but then he says something else. And the second most is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The first, why did he have two? The first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That is a summation of the first tablet of the Ten Commandments, which is about the vertical relationship between us and God. And then he said, the second one is just like it. Love, the, love the, your Lord, your God, or love, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The next tablet, or what's called the second tablet of the Ten Commandments, the other five, don't murder don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet, don't bear false witness. That's about how we relate horizontally to one another. And that's why they said you still must keep the moral law. Because what, was the, what, what did Jesus say before he was crucified? A new commandment I give you, which was what? Love one another. Well, how are we to love one another? As we love ourselves. I wouldn't cheat myself. I wouldn't steal from myself. Right? So why would I do these things to somebody else? That's why they had to obey the moral law. We spend an undue amount of time on that because this book is given an undue amount of, of butchery. And there was a, this was, this was not, you know, if you get a, if you get a, a cleanup in the cans, in the, uh, in the canned fruit aisle, just go pick up the canned fruit and put it back. And if it's dented, you throw it out, right? Leviticus is clean up in the produce aisle, man. I mean, there's lettuce everywhere. I mean, people opened up the meat and it's bleeding out on the floor. I mean, I, the, the Leviticus required a mass amount of cleanup. All right. This one is be short and sweet. Next on the list, number five, Genesis 4-9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper. This Bible verse was quoted frequently by Barack Obama. And it, it, it's quoted quite a bit by leftists nowadays. I am my brother's keeper. This phrase is introduced to the scriptures by the first murderer, Cain. He has just slain his brother. God asks him, where is your brother? Not that God doesn't know. He just wants to see if Abel will own up to what he's done. Or if Cain will own up to what he's done. And Cain responds with, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? 
This isn't a thing. I mean, this this isn't an actual. I I, I don't. I, this is a breathtaking butchery of the scriptures to quote this as justification for the welfare state when this is introduced into the scriptures this phrase as a flippant rebellious defiant saying by the world's first murderer who is literally shaking his fist at god other than that though nailed it hope and change baby hope and change indeed more in a moment Chaser, Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. We've got two more left, and neither one of them come from two Corinthians. Welcome back to our special edition of the Steve Day Show, the seven deadly Bible verses, the scriptures we most butcher and abuse to our own destruction. The hits don't stop till we reach the top. Number six. How are we doing so far with the first five? What do you guys think? Have you guys enjoyed this so far? Oh, yeah. I'm amazed we've gotten through five. (laughs) You didn't That's think there true. was any chance we'd get through all seven of these? I think we may have had a, at least been more rapid fire than it looks like we will be. Okay. What about you, Aaron? Oh, I love this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been thinking of more kind of tangential Bible verses and, and principles that are kind of abused as well. So we might do this again sometime. Well, let's get one. How many weddings would you say happen in America every day? Because that would probably be... How many times this is abused in America every day? 1 Corinthians 13, otherwise known to many people as the love chapter, or what people who never go to church recite at their weddings most of the time. It begins with, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, It goes on, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. That says this. When I was a child, I thought, spoke, and reasoned as a child. But when I became a man, I set aside childish things. What does that mean? Because I think you need to know what that means to know what the rest of this chapter means. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these 
is love. This is not speaking of love as it's often defined at a wedding. And I don't think this is like the misuse of Jeremiah 29 and 11, okay? That has absolutely no place in the in the context that it's often applied. But it's but this is speaking of a love gr- f- beyond um permission to procreate as man and wife, far beyond that. More cosmic than that. Um and and the notion of of reducing it to something that's a trite saying that we use just for a, 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 a momentous occasion and then probably never really think about or ever again or rarely reset from this time forward. Um, that's childish. And Paul, and, and, and Paul ends this by saying, when I was a child, I thought I spoke and reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I said, I had childish things. Meaning, take, I, I mean, I, I, I'm an adult. I'm dealing with adult subject matter. Adult consequences. Take this very seriously. The irony of the way we bastardize this is that it comes from 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth, first of all, the the people of Corinth were notoriously depraved, even by Greek culture. At the the time, these people were so bad they had their own verb. This this was this was Las Vegas and Babylon, and uh, the the Porn Valley in California all rolled into one. Was Corinth? The Greeks had a word to describe the debased behavior that went on in Corinth. It was to if you were particularly lascivious, then you were known to quote Corinthianize. Sort of like Clemsoning. <laughs> Remember Clemsoning? Yeah. Known for folding in big games, Clemsoning. All right. You were known. Uh, you were known to Corinthianize. That's how bad this place was. And so Paul has planted a church there. And while he was gone, they did some cool things. They had um, chicks who had who from the pagan temple down the street with their heads shaved and like almost no clothes on, and tongue rings. Uh, tongue piercings coming in and, you know, just giving their take on things, you know, just, you know, with their own, just, 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 just spitball with their questions. own, asking questions, their own kind of social justice, you know, uh, sermon, you know, just, uh, what you doing kind of thing, you know, hey, well, let's have a diverse opinion of thought here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That there was that one dude that sat in the front row with his, well, it's basically his mom. I mean, it was the woman, his dad, his dad was married to his stepmom, but it's basically his mom. And, you know, he's tapping her now, and they're not married. So that was cool. That was going on, you know. Um, I mean, you know, those were the days all in the family, right? I mean, they got, I mean, Corinth, Cor- the, the church in Corinth rocked. Big tent. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, very big. Uh, so big it was going to implode like a souffle. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then my when, maybe this is my favorite. You want to talk about clever. Okay. You know, Luther used to say, if you're going to sin, sin boldly, right? Then there were the group of folks that were like, Communion, Eucharist, we're not having that whole debate. We'll save that for like the five, a thousand years from now. We're just here for the wine. So they just get up there, you know, get their drink on, 
Because back then they didn't, you know, have sparkling grape juice. They got you got, you got the real thing, and it was leaded. All right, so uh, they were like, "Dude, I can come here on Sundays, and in the morning it's five o'clock somewhere. I can come here in the mornings, man, and get a good buzz going before I head out to Corinthianai." So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no money pot. Great, great. All right, shop. Yeah, chaser. All right, I'm back in line. All right, and it was kind of a revolving door there. They, Corinth, I mean, I think Costco started in Corinth, and all it sold was communion wine, all right? Because it was like when a fan base shows up at a bowl game and they drink every bar out of bush light, that's what the Corinthians did to the communion wine. This, this place was terrible, absolutely terrible. And so Paul writes him a friendly letter. And what you don't know before this is like in the first 12 chapters, um, a lot of it isn't that friendly. Um, It's, shall we say, uh, 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 confrontational at times. He's he's aggravated. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah. Throw these women out. That dude sleeping with his mom let the devil have him slight overreaction by our, you know, comely standards today. Okay. And, and so again, similar though to like in Jeremiah, this is largely a book of clarification, correction, and rebuke. But then after you're done clarifying, correcting, and rebuking, well, if we're going to, we're going to tell you to stop doing what's bad. We got to now reset what? What's good. What's good. And, this, and so we begin. The irony of how this chapter is just treated, 1 Corinthians 13, at a lot of weddings in America, as sort of this as sort of trite sentimentalism sloganeering. It's 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 irony is beheaded here. Because this letter was written to attack that level of vacuousness. This level, this letter was written to uproot that level of shallow, that lack of depth, that idea that I can just live any way I want whenever I want, show up here on Sunday, check a few boxes and dance a little jig and walk out of here and do whatever the hell I want, cheap grace from there. Paul's like, no, not having it. Not no, not on my watch anyway. And yet that's often how these verses are treated in America's wedding chapels, right? Oh, yes. I just recite these. They sound great. I'm sentimental about it for a moment. But then six weeks later, three years later, 10 years later, if the marriage lasts that long, how often are they thought of then? It's the specific reason I requested that this not be read at my wedding. Because you're because I, of the triteness aspect of it? Right. Yeah. That, it, that it's become a, a, a cliche? Yeah. Yeah. Aaron, you have any thoughts before we move on to the uh, coup de grace? Yeah. Not... People, th- people again... Do their eisegesis. They they attach what they would like to upon upon uh, upon certain words. We think of love as warm and fuzzy, feeling emotional um, things of that nature, and that's I think that's the main allure. It's not necessarily that oh this is what love means. This is all these responsibilities. No, it's just love, 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 fuzzy, warm, warm, but. It's just that over and over again, and there's no thought to what, not only just the context, but what's actually being said here, even if it was taken in context of the broader message uh, to the Corinthians. A question to you two on that front. 
in in Catholic translations, I don't know if in Protestant, but instead of faith, hope, and love, love is often translated as charity. Is that done in any Protestant translations? No, but it's but what Protestants are taught are the seven Greek translations of what the word love. Well, there's many. Yeah, the you know philo, yes. eros, yes. yeah, etc. The point being, to get away from the fuzziness, and what Protestants are talking is taught about, is this is a self, like Christ, is, a self. Sacrificial. Yes, it's emptying love. out right. of oneself, which is right. what's implied, obviously, more directly with charity versus the Correct. term love. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's get to number one or number seven, depending on which order you start at the top or the bottom. Matthew 7 1. Judge not, lest ye be judged, that you be not judged. This one is. Dude, this is the uh, magnum opus of today's scoffers and scorners. Particularly right? since the very people who so bent and twisted this out of shape to hammer us over the head for years and years are now the most judgy, yes. humorless. Disagree with me, you're a racist. Yes. Disagree with me, you're a sexist. Disagree with me, yes. you're a xenophobe. Disagree with me, you're a homophobe. Yes. Right, right away. I, I and I judge you in the harshest yes. of terms. You're a, disagree with me, you're a bigot. Right away, yes. Not even any distinctions. Not like I think you're really wrong. Like we could start with, can we start with stupid? No. We can't go, for, we, we, we skip right over stupid or jerk and go right to you are the lowest form of life on earth. You are beneath contempt. Is that the kind of judgmentalism you're talking about? Yeah, the, there's this thing going on with tr- the, the, the slang term of trad wives, but this is just another term for stay-at-home wives, people who like generally Christians who's always, that's what they've aspired to. Mm-hmm. And there's this progressive rant going on that's saying that that's just, lip, that's basically white supremacism which is just putting a a face on the general thesis you and I just laid out. I mean, they, they will pick on, I mean, they will, they, it's, it's the equivalent of saying shellfish means God doesn't exist. I mean, it's so absurd. They go from zero to 60. It's it's what Aaron Rodgers did earlier this year to God. He judged him. Right. It's funny. It's funny too, that usually in the next breath following this judge, not, Yes, lest ye be judged. And if you do judge, then you're a narrow-minded bigot. Mm-hmm. I you, hate mean people. Aren't you? Aren't you making a judgment? <laughs> yes. There? Yes. So let's look at this again in context. Okay. Do not judge. These are the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Do not judge, so that you won't be judged. Whom? What? What? Who? What does he mean? You won't be judged. Hey, you let me live any way I want, and you too can live any way you want. Is that what he means? Well, Jesus' fiercest competitors, for lack of a better description, during his earthly ministry were who? Those who used God's law not as a means of convicting the people to draw nearer to God, but those who used it hypocritically or self-righteously to place an undue burden on those that were carrying the majority of the burdens to begin with. For example... When Jesus comes upon St. Peter out on the sea, and he says in the midst, come follow me. We, we see this depicted sometimes in movies, like Jesus shows up, come. Come and follow me. 
caught in the trance, in the spell. Yes, Master. They put down their nets, left everything behind right then and there. Hamana, hamana, hamana. That's, that's not what it means. Again, you got to know the context. What's the context? So in one, of the, in one verse in the Gospels, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. These phrases meant something specific to somebody in the to a first century Jew. Because a, a, a first century Jewish boy wanted more than anything else for one day when he was 12, 13, 14 years old for the rabbi to come to him. The rabbi that had taught him Hebrew, the law, the Torah, the way. That one day then that rabbi would see potential in him. The potential to be more than just a layman but a rabbi himself, an elder of Israel. And that the way that you would be known, that you would be chosen, is the rabbi would come to you. And you know what he would say? Come and follow me. Those were the words. That's like the phone rings. Your kid's a college football player. It's the last Saturday in April and the phone rings. And it's one of 32 teams in the NFL. And they said, come, you're drafted. It's your kid's a high school football player. Your phone rings in his senior year, and it's a college coach saying, you've been offered a scholar. We'd like to offer you a scholarship. That's what it means. Your ship has come in because if you didn't, weren't able to go the way of the master, then you were going to work with your hands, toil with your hands like Peter, a fisherman. You're going to have a much harder life. One of the things you would do if, the, if you were the rabbi's protege is you would carry the rabbi's, uh, you know, you'd carry his scrolls, you'd carry his gear, you'd carry his yoke. You would do that. That was part of you paying your dues. And it would sometimes be a very heavy burden to carry that all over Israel. So Jesus is saying, you know, Peter is a grown man with a family when Jesus comes upon him at the sea. He's long been passed over. He's going to do the rest of his life this menial work toiling with his hands at the mercy of, the, of Mother Nature. And so when he hears the rabbi say, come and follow me, I, he's wanted to hear these words his entire life. These are what he's wanted. This is what he's wanted to hear. This, this wasn't, this, this wasn't otherworldly. This was as personal and practical as it gets. This wasn't a spell. This was the ultimate affirmation. And it's, and it's this level of religious hypocrisy that Jesus is confronting. That's why he says, hey, my burden is easy. You're not carrying me. I'm here to carry you. I will wash your feet. I'm the suffering servant Isaiah wrote about. I suffer for you. You don't suffer for me. I suffer for you. I go to the cross. I carry your burdens with me there. I take your burdens upon myself. To many of the religious leaders of Jesus' day were putting these burdens back on the people rather than taking them upon themselves as the leaders. And this, this entire line of, 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 is, is a rebuke of that and urging the people not to follow in the footsteps of these religious hypocrites. Because do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man will always reap what he sows. Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard which you judge others. 
In other words, the same false, fake, self-righteous standard you judge others by, God will then judge you and allow them to judge you as well. Other than that, today's modern leftist interpretation of this scripture is exactly correct. Other than everything's wrong. But everything else then, after being wrong, whatever's left is right. Which is nothing. Are we good? <laughs> Nailed it. You did it. Hey, this was a lot of fun, man. We had a lot of fun kind of riffing on this for a couple of hours. I hope all of you enjoyed it as well. We are done. Do you guys have a good time? Oh, Blast, yeah. yeah. Was this a good idea for a special show? Yeah. Oh, I think we could have done twice as long, too. I think we could, but we weren't getting paid for that, so we won't. Worker's worth is higher. I'm John 3, 17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.